Okay, guys, uh, let's get back to Romans chapter 12. We're in verse 2, and I said when we started this uh, on Romans 12 that this is a couple of verses that you have that you have memorized. I bet you, oh, by the way, um, if, if my voice uh, weakens this evening, um, you know, I, like many of you, have allergies, and I take this Zyrtec thing, and it dries up everything from my neck up, including my vocal cords, so that's all it is. So in case you're worried about that, um, that I've got something. Uh, I don't. But um, the, the second verse is what we're looking at tonight. Um, be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is, a, which is a statement that you probably have heard more frequently than you've heard the other one. That is verse 1. Uh, look at it. Um, my translation puts it like this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay, guys, I hope you'll keep your Bibles close because we're going to look at uh, several things. But let me show you something first. There are, and, and this is a pretty good way to, to, uh, to study a verse. You've got to pick out the key words. And if you look at verse 2, it's pretty easy, at least in the first half, to pick out the word conformed. That's a key word. The word world, very key. Transformed. Another key, renewal of your mind. That's a that's a key phrase, and and that's the way we're going to break this text up. We're going to look at each one of those things in turn. <clears throat> but tonight, we're going to look. We're going to concentrate on the world on the word world. That's all we're going to do. Is just it says, be not conformed to this world. <laughs> now, guys, uh, let me say first that this is a term that illustrates. A point that I've been making about for the last three weeks, um, you know, I've talked about this is a dangerous text. It's the intersection of two things, uh, great Christian doctrine and the, the living of the Christian life. And where there's, uh, and I, 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 my famous illustration of the train tracks that, that um, uh, intersected, and uh, it's an important intersection. But where there's this intersection, there's always danger because there's so much traffic there, you know. I thought it was a wonderful illustration myself. But, but, but anyway... Um, uh, this this word illustrates one of the dangers. If you misunderstand this term "world," you can go far afield. And, and let, let me let me illustrate. Um, <clears throat> guys, there has been a notion that um, the world is to be viewed as smoking. Drinking, you know, um, going to the movies, wearing makeup. Uh, if you got a television, you need to sell one of those things. And if I can just stay away from those things, then I can escape the world. I think I've told you this before, but there's a Christian college in um, in South Carolina, and I'm sure that they have they've changed this by now. I hope they have. I'm sure they have. But I, I saw the brochure. And the brochure said this this Christian college was located close to a major city in South Carolina, but it was outside the city. And the brochure said, and I forget exactly how many miles it said, but I'm going to say 20. But it said, we are located 20 miles from any known sin. That was in their brochure. (laughs) We are located 20 miles from any known sin. And I thought... My goodness, there must not be any mirrors in that on that school. Um, what do you mean, a, a 20 miles from any known sin? That's just that's just nonsensical. But the idea is, if I can stay away from them movies, 
And, you know, uh, not, not watch that, those horrible television shows and little, you know, dancing and makeup and all that stuff. I can escape the world. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, you can escape all that and be very worldly. Trust me. Um, here's another example. The whole monastic movement. You know what, you know what a monastery is? The whole monastic movement. Including convents. Convents was the female version of a monastery, which was the male version. Um, and the, the, part of the idea was, if I can just wall myself in from all of those uh, worldly influences and, and then occupy the day doing some religious stuff, then I can escape the world. Um, even the Amish, as, as much as I admire them, it is an attempt to escape, or at least partially motivated by an attempt to escape the world. Now, guys, um, go over with me if you've got your Bibles. I mean, we're going to look at a lot of passages, so I hope you see if you can find John one, not First John, but the first, the Gospel of John, chapter one. Trying to understand this term "world" is pretty key, ladies and gentlemen, and I, and I just want to show you that the Bible doesn't help. Well, I mean, it helps a lot, but. Um, the term itself is is hard to nail down, and I, I want to show you. This is in first. This is in John chapter one verse ten. Okay, let's imagine that you are a commentarian. You know what a commentarian does for a living? A commentarian writes commentaries. <laughs> commentaries are books that help you explain or understand the Bible. So you're a commentarian, and you come to John one ten. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. Now, in that one verse, you find the same Greek word. The Greek word is cosmos. You find the same Greek word three times. <clears throat> now, what does it mean, those three times in that one verse? He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Okay, well, that second one probably has to do with the planet. And then, yet the world did not know him. What's that one? Well, I don't know. Guys, um, <clears throat> I'm simply trying to demonstrate, um, if you misunderstand this term, your whole view of sanctification can be askew. It can go awry if you misunderstand the world. When Paul says, be not conformed to the world, what does he have in mind? Now, that's what we want to try to nail down tonight. Let me show you some places where the word appears, um, or just trying to come to a... Let's see if you can find 1 John now. 1 John, chapter 2, verse 15. I'm going to read three verses. Here we go. It's in there a lot. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, there it's twice in one brief sentence. Tell me. Do you think when he says, do not love the world, that he's talking about planet Earth? No, probably not. Um, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Hmm. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of, and possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. How many times was that? Six times you found the word world? 
It's used a lot in the New Testament. That is the, the term itself. Uh, go back just a little bit to the to the uh, uh, the Epistle of James. This is a scary one. Um, this is James chapter four, verse four. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? You, um, whatever this thing is, if I'm a friend of it, I'm an enemy of God's. So I've got to figure out what it is so that I won't be a friend of it. Now, let me show you a very odd one, although it's not the word world. It's a, it's a Greek word that is the foundation of our English word eon. That is eons and eons. But it's in Galatians chapter um, 1. But now we're beginning to approach a definition of the term world, which is, which is what we're trying to do tonight. Um, this is Galatians 1, grace to, and peace to you from, uh, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Now, guys, that's not the Greek word cosmos, <clears throat> but it's referring to the same thing that Paul is referring to in Romans 12. This present evil age. <clears throat> now, let's try to sort it out and, and come up with a decent definition of what Paul is saying don't be conformed to. First of all, let me tell you uh, just the negative. It, in Romans 12, 2, he is not meaning the physical universe. That's kind of obvious, isn't it? Um, do not be conformed to the physical universe. That's nonsense. So that's, that's obviously what he doesn't mean. Okay? So let's find out What's this thing that I'm not supposed to be conformed to? What do you say? Uh, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm telling you, this is all over the New Testament, the, the word is. But I, I just tried to pick out something that would help us get to a, a definition. 2 Corinthians 4, 3. And even if our gospel is veiled... It is veiled only to those who are perishing. In their case, ooh, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Okay, guys, there is a God of this world that I'm not supposed to be conformed to. Um, the world is being governed by a malign power that opposes God. In fact, we're told that you don't need to look at this, but this in Ephesians 6, do you remember um, verse 12 where Paul says, uh, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces. There is a malign power that is superintending the thing that we're not supposed to be conformed to. Well, let me say this much uh, as we approach a definition. He's, Paul is saying that there is a system a value system, a way of seeing things, a, a, um, a uh, an antithetical position that we're supposed to avoid, ladies and gentlemen. Um, it's a it's a position that is that is um, contrary to the way we're supposed to be thinking, and it is governed. I am a line power and an, 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 an opposer. Now, keep going with me. First Corinthians chapter 7. And then we're going to, in a minute, come to a definition, I hope. Oh, this is, yeah, this is an interesting one. I'm going to start, um, 
Uh, in the middle of verse 29, uh, 1 Corinthians 7. From now on, let those who have wives lives as though, live as though they had none. I'd have to explain that, gentlemen, so don't get any, uh, you know, fanciful ideas. And those who mourn as those who were not mourning, and those who rejoice as those who were not rejoicing, and those who buy as though they had no goods. Here we come. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. As those who deal with the world. What is that? Is there some kind of bartering system going on with planet Earth? No. He's talking about this same system, this same uh, value system, this same way of seeing. And he says, you know, uh, act as if you had no dealings with it. Um, <clears throat> there, I, I don't know whether y'all ever saw this. This was years ago. I don't think it's still on. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's not. But y'all don't know, know the name Carl Sagan? Carl Sagan's a smart boy. Um, but he is a real opponent of the gospel, a very vocal opponent, 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 very angry opponent. But you remember, um, remember his television show that was on, oh gosh, some channel that was called Cosmos. And do you remember how it opened up? Remember what he said when he, when he opened up the movie? I mean, every, every episode he says, the world is all there is or ever was or ever will be. Now, ladies and gentlemen, that's a way to view things. That's a perspective. The world, the cosmos, the planet is all there ever was, all there ever is, and all there ever will be. What Paul is saying that we're not supposed to be conformed to is a, is a perspective on existence that is antithetical to the whole idea that God exists and governs and is. Guys, there's a there's another term that I want you to see, um, which I think helps define the world. It's in Romans eight. You know, maybe men ought not turn there. This is in Romans eight verses four and twelve. It's just uh, Paul uses the term flesh over here. He says, um, um, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled, who all uh, who walk not according to the flesh. He says the same thing in verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. I think in a lot of ways there's some similarities between that word and the word we're trying to define. Then I'll say one other word and we'll move to a definition. I read you uh, earlier from 1 John chapter 2. There are some characteristics of this thing that we're supposed to avoid. Um, John says it when he says... Um, that kind of the earmarks of this thing, he says, for all that is in the world, comma, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. Those are earmarks, ladies and gentlemen, of a system, of a value system, of a perspective that I'm not supposed to have any dealings with. I'm supposed to oppose that. I'm supposed to not let it make me into its image. I'm, I'm supposed to be an opponent of that. Gang, the world that we're not supposed to be conformed to doesn't consist of sex, drugs, and rock and roll, as if if I stayed away from Woodstock, I've, been, I've avoided the world. 
the idea that Paul is um, condemning in, in Romans 12, chapter uh, verse 2, has to do with our thinking. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, what forms your thinking? What influences how you view things? What, what helps you build perspective? What is it that, uh, uh, that it shapes your outlook? Is it the culture? Or is it the Word of God? Um, ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you, you can be eat up with worldliness while you regularly attend church and be a faithful participant because it has to do with the way that you think. It's, it has to do with a value system, a, a, a way of seeing and viewing and evaluating. Where did you learn yours? You know, I didn't plan this, but um, uh, I'm kind of glad that some senior hires are in here. This book was uh, released in 1987. You ever heard of it? It was a blockbuster. Um, Alan Bloom is a professor at the University of Chicago. He's not a Christian. Um, uh, the Closing of the American Mind, he's, a, he's an educator, actually. I want to read you just the opening sentence, just one sentence. Um, these are your kids that you sent off to college just recently. And he says, he's a professor, as, as I said, at the University of Chicago, and he says, um, there is one thing a professor can be absolutely certain of, colon. You ever heard this? Did you ever hear this first sentence? It's a, it's a killer. There is one thing, if you're a professor at a university, any place in America, there's one thing that you can be absolutely sure of. Almost every student entering the university believes or says he believes that truth is relative. Every entering freshman to the universities of our grand and glorious land, it can be assumed that when they arrive, that their whole way of viewing things is that they start with this. All truth is relative. Let me tell you what, my young friends, or my older friends, if that is the way you view things, it gotcha. The cosmos gotcha. You have been conformed. You are being conformed. Because it's how you view values and truth and, and, and decisions. I said this Sunday, ladies and gentlemen, the national creed of America is that there's no such thing as true or false. This book, which is, I read it years ago. He starts like this, and it says, you can be sure of this, that every student that arrives on the campus views truth as relative. Or as, as relative. And then what he does with the rest of the book, 
he sets out to prove that education, education as you and I know it, is impossible in such a climate as, as exists today. He said, oh no, I mean, people can learn skills. They can learn how to drive a truck. They can learn how to, you know, balance a, a P&L statement. They can learn skills. But in terms of real education, that is, um, what he meant by that is that, is that you, you learn to sift through, um, error and to discover the beauty of truth. To discover that what's true and what's beautiful and what's good, that, he says, is impossible. And it's impossible because, ladies and gentlemen, those things for the relativist that are true and good or beautiful don't exist. Now, let me give you the statistic that I gave you Sunday. Let me give it to you again that seven in ten of the professing Christian church does not believe that absolutes exist? Are you seated here tonight with the notion that absolutes do not exist? By the way, just to... Absolutes, even in math... Did you hear me? Math, M-A-T-H. And, and, and I'll read this, but, um, if you believe that two plus two equals four, you should be ashamed of yourself. In Minnesota, teachers are instructed to be tolerant of multiple mathematical worldviews. In New Mexico, I met a young man who had recently graduated from high school where a mathematics teacher had labeled him a bigot for thinking it was important to get the right answer. As long as students work together in a group and achieve consensus, the teacher insisted, the outcome was acceptable. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are seated here today with no conviction that absolutes exist, You have been conformed. The culture has pressed you into its mold. You're as good as lost. I don't mean eternally. You're certainly not going to be an asset to the kingdom. Because for you, nothing absolute exists. Golly gee. Um, and guys, you know what the next step after this one is? You know what the, you know what the kissing cousin of that one is? So, let me ask you this. Forget this for a moment. Do you believe that all religions are equally true? Then, ladies and gentlemen, you have been pressed into their mold. You have bought into a worldly system that is headed up and governed by a malign power. You have bought into something 
that Carl Sagan is happy with. But ladies and gentlemen, it is completely antithetical to the Christian message. By the way, just for my my student friends here, um, do you know that there is an internal contradiction in this? You know what I mean by that? This internally contradicts itself. Relativism does. Because to be a relativist, you you have to use absolutes to prove your relativistic position. If you say there is no such thing as true or false, you've just used an absolute to say there's no such thing as true or false. So if there's no if there's no absolutes, then why is your sentence any good? There's no such thing as true or false. Because if absolutes don't exist, then your statement is nonsensical. My dear friend, you are internally inconsistent. You violate the rules of logic. You are irrational. You've been pressed into their mold. You think like a, you think like the devil would have you think. You know, ladies and gentlemen, I started this whole series on, 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 on Sunday morning, which is somewhat related to this, because I am telling you, if the Christian church doesn't rise up and say, thus saith the Lord, there ain't any hope for any of it. And, and I'm telling you, if this is who you are, I don't know that anything in here is ever going to influence who you are, what you do, the choices that you make. Ladies and gentlemen, truth, the thing that should teach us how to think is not the culture to which you belong, but it's this. Where did you learn to think? Because the whole world thing that is be not conformed to this world is a way of thinking. Where did you learn that? Who gave you the skills? Who gave you the perspective? Did you get it from Carl Sagan? Because I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, they make fun of people like me. And and I think, isn't that interesting? That your whole position is internally contradictory, but I'm the one that's not very smart. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Guys, the, the Apostle Paul is pleading with us that we be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Now, by the way, we're going to get to that in a couple of weeks, that renewing of the mind thing. Um, but my point is, he is saying that the solution to being conformed is the renewal of your mind. <laughs> so, which simply confirms the position that I just took, and that is, the world thing here in Romans 12 has to do with how you think. I'm telling you guys, you and I have a whole lot that we've got to unlearn. Because we learned at the, wrong, at the feet of the wrong folks. Um... 
you and I are being conformed. We're being pressed into a cultural, worldly, godless mold. When our pursuit, whatever that pursuit is, tends to make you less fit for spiritual matters. And I'm telling you, folks, this makes you unfit, not less fit. you got choices to make. And maybe you've already made yours, and I hope you have. But you're going to have to figure this out. That is, is there or isn't there truth available to us? Is there something on which I can build my life or not? But I'll say this, guys, and we don't have time to, to, to demonstrate this, but philosophically, the most rational, logical, intelligent, academic position to be in is the one that I'm in. I don't know about you. Now, by the way, I'm not, I'm not talking about Reformed theology. I'm just talking about truth in all of its beauty. That it exists. I may not have it all. I may not know it all. I may not. I, in fact, I might teach you something wrong here, God forbid, uh, on a Wednesday night. But ultimately, there's a truth in here that is to be discovered by the by the dedicated search for God, in, for God in His Word. Failure to do so is to get squeezed. You feel it? You feel it, do you? You're getting squeezed, you know. All day long, all night long. They're telling you that anybody who believes in Anybody that doesn't believe this pluralism, that every religion is equally good, they all lead to some kind of road up one side of the mountain to, the, to some kind of metaphysical being. Do you believe that? Are you influenced by that, ladies and gentlemen? Because if you are, you better take a look at Romans 12 too, which pleads with us. Not to be conformed. Guys, um, the thing that I think the world is opposing, well, no, they're opposing this, but one of the things that has made them so vehemently opposed to this is because of the way we've handled ourselves. We've been very ungracious and unkind in delivering this message. And maybe I'm as guilty as anybody. But that doesn't change the truth that this, that truth is there. And um, anything less than a grasp of it, I'm the loser. Um, guys, we are being asked in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, to think Christianly. It's, um, it's called a, a world and a life view. You know, guys, um, one, of the, one of the mistakes that's been made in the evangelical community is... We've said, get Jesus, get saved, and that's, you know, go about your business. Let somebody spray you with a coat of asbestos and stick a ticket to heaven in your pocket and everything's fine. And, um, and so we've let the, 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 these guys take over the whole world of science and math and history and art and beauty and, and um, education because we got our ticket to heaven stuck in our pocket. 
Guys, there's a, there's a, there's a Christian way to view history. There's a Christian way to view art and, and music and, and mathematics. It's called a Christian world and life view. I, I'm telling you guys, um, and with this I'll quit, the battle against sin in our own lives. I'm not talking about them. I'm just talking about me. My battle against sin is won or lost in my mind. You take this away from me. You rob me of this. And I'm done for in terms of any kind of victory over sin. And I'm telling you guys, that's what the God of this world has done. He has robbed our our culture of that, substituting this. And thus, sin is having a heyday. Isn't it? Isn't it? I mean, you know that. Um, what was I watching last night, Dave? And I said, I can't watch this anymore. I mean, it, oh, I know what it was. I know what it was. <laughs> yes, I'll, I'll quit with this. Um, you know, you're watching, I don't know, um, it was um, the uh, St. Louis is playing, who is they, they're playing? But anyway, you know, in between innings, they're, they're advertising movies. Have you seen the movies that, <laughs> that, that are available to us now? Uh, like, I forget, it's, is it called Couples? It's, they're just advertising the movies. I didn't go see the thing, but just advertising Couples. Have you seen that one? Or how about, is it, it's not Pandemonium, it's Pandemon or something like that. And this, I can't even watch the, the advertisements for the silly things. You know, um, there is a woman uh, who has worked at the uh, Paradiso Theater who's a part of our congregation. Remember the, the, the big uh, brouhaha, the, the thing that they had over there, you know, where the big mass fight that they had over there? Um, she was telling me that mothers are bringing their four-year-olds into those things and letting them see these alien-type movies. And so the Malco Theater has decided we can't show some of these movies because... It is contributing to the breakdown of morality in, in our section of the city. I don't think they thought it like that. But, but we can't even show these things. Once we get robbed of this and substitute that, what we end up with is a moral cesspool. The battle against sin, ladies and gentlemen, is won or lost in my mind. I'm trained to know how to think. Not by this, but by that. And that is the thing that allows me to not be conformed to this world. We'll come back and talk some more next week. Let's quit. Our Father, I do pray that you will remind us how important is your word, and not, not just um, to establish our theological positions. But it trains us how to think. It trains us what to think. It gives us perspective. It gives us a value system. It teaches 
and reconstructs bad thinking and helps us unlearn what is eating away at the vitals of our our soul. And I pray, O oh God, that as a as a as a group of people, that we will um, take great joy in knowing that what we have in our possession is the very mind of God as black words on a white page. Uh, Yours is the mind that I want mine conformed to, Lord. Would you permit that? I'm not the only one in this room, O God, that wants that. So permit it for all of us as we seek to know you better and become more conformed to your image. We pray in Jesus' name.